I'm a mom. I talk to a lot of moms, and I'll tell you what, we all want the best for our babies. But each year, more than half a million babies are born prematurely, and this can lead to serious health problems. The good news is that now if you're pregnant or a new mom, you can get easy access to information to keep your baby healthy. It's through a free service called Text for Baby. Pregnant women and new moms get timely expert health tips sent directly to their cell phones. The tips will help you care for your new child in each important phase of early development. Get Text for Baby, free messages on your cell phone to help you through your pregnancy and your baby's first year. Just text BABY, B-A-B-Y, to 511411. That's BABY, B-A-B-Y, to 511411 for the health of your baby. Only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. He has won his fourth Indianapolis 500. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Finally, 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 we get Mayweather, where, and I don't mean Floyd Mayweather, I mean outside, it looks like the month of May in Indianapolis, and what better thing to do to celebrate what it looks like the month of May than do our best to make it sound like the month of May. Good evening to you. My name is Jake Quarry. Mike Thompson here along with me. This is Beyond the Bricks. Brad Huber is running the board for us, and Mike, I'll begin with this, a little trivia right off the top, but I know you know the answer, so I don't even have to give you any sort of secret cues. What car number has won more Indianapolis 500s than any other in history? Three. That is car number three. That is correct. And this is show number three for this. Oh, that does work out nicely, doesn't it? So consider us to just be the 12th car number to win the Indianapolis 500. Now, for those of you who just got done listening to Trackside, just so that, because people get, we are creatures of habit, right, Mike? And, and in that. particular, for the Indy 500, we're creatures of habit, and we like things to be – we like routine. We like laps to be one after the, another after another. So for people that were just listening uh, to Kevin for the last 30 minutes, I – talk like that – so that – it sounds normal, right? I'm just kidding. I'm giving Kevin a hard time. Kevin's got to rehook his internet. Man, Kevin's got to spring for uh... – Spring for some better routers. Barracuda or, Networks? Can he get Barracuda Networks yeah, in there? Yeah, man, I don't know about what what he's got. He's, is he Can on Brian the dial-up? He's on the dial-up <laughs> from so. AOL or something from um, back in the day. We've got a good show dialed up. I love Kevin. That's why we, we rib him. We've got a good show lined up. We're going to talk tonight, I think, Mike. Uh, you and I talked briefly about this. And, you know, there are so many great personalities in the Indianapolis 500 from a driving standpoint. And so tonight, I thought what we would do is talk about the golden era of the 50s. Because I think when you look at, I have always felt, Mike, that the thing about the Indianapolis 500 that is not only, you know, that, that put it where it became and where it's been, but quite frankly might be the biggest challenge for it right now. And that is that if you go back and you look, for example, I remember watching the Brady Bunch and Greg Brady bought this jalopy car from some rat fink, and he fixed it all up, and he souped it up, and he's getting ready to reveal it to the rest of the family. And what does he say on the Brady Bunch? He says, let me show you the hottest side, the hottest pair of wheels this side of Indianapolis. Of course, as a kid, I thought that meant they lived in Indianapolis. And my dad said, no, 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 Jake. That means 
that everything is compared in the automobile to Indianapolis. And for so many people, the automobile coming off of the war was not only a source of leisure and hobby to a lot of Americans, but it was a source of livelihood. So if you didn't have somebody that was working in a small town in your home state of Ohio or Indiana yeah, my gra- or— My grandpa worked on the assembly line at uh, sure. Jeep, man, in right. Toledo. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you had guys and gals that couldn't wait to watch the Indianapolis 500 because not only were they watching the drivers they'd watched under lights on Fridays and Saturday nights for years, but it was the ultimate display of ingenuity of the place that they themselves, Monday through Friday, got their hands dirty, and there was such a pride in that. And I think— the 50s are a fascinating decade for that because that was, to me, at least retroactively and reading about it, the decade where that marriage between people's livelihood and their leisure really was made and put on display. Yeah, and I think what it's such a romantic era for so many people because, you know, the roadster. People just love the Roadster, and, and you know, I mean, there's there's a group of people who would would love to just go back to that car, and and they'd been fine if it would have never gone rear engine, and they'd been fine if it was, uh, you know, Roadsters forever, and and it's just it it's just when you think of, um, you know, the post war car, you think of, you know, the Balan Special, or you think of the fuel injection Special, sure. or you think you know those cars, and they're you know, to a lot of people. You know, that's the cars they think of immediately. They think of the roadsters. And so it's, you know, you're right. I mean, there's, um, you know, that led us into, you know, the record-breaking cars of the 60s. But, you know, you've got to get there somewhere. And, and you know, the Watson roadsters and, and the, you know, that's just a, it's a romantic era that, uh, you know, the people still have such a, a place in their heart for. Well, I think the other thing that is unique about it, and this carried through certainly into, now I'm going to say the mid-80s. You may disagree with me. But I remember, you know, having conversations. I believe Donald and I had this conversation, one of the the early conversations I had with him, that's really interesting. Like, we just had the Kentucky Derby last Saturday, right? When you think about great racehorses, Secretariat, Affirmed, Seattle Slough, you know, et cetera, et cetera, it's the horse and not the jockey that won the Derby. Right. Okay. Sure, people know Ronnie Turcott, but for the most part, nobody says Ronnie Turcott won the 73 Triple Crown, right? Right. And in those days, certainly in the early years of the Indy 500, it was the car. It was the Marmon Wasp that won. It was the National that won. It wasn't. And so the 50s, I think, were the last era of marriage where, sure, the drivers were becoming the beloved stars, but the cars themselves People wanted to see and touch and picture those cars and the names of the cars. And when I think about, sure, you had the Yellow Submarine in the early 80s or you had other such cars in the 80s, but by then the drivers were such stars that when I think of Ari Leyendijk, yeah, I think of Domino's Pizza, but it's not the first thing that comes to mind. And in those days, Mike, the reality is for a lot of drivers – the the special that they were in was as special as their accomplishment itself. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, I think you know, there's so many different cool car names. And I know we're going to do, uh, I think we've talked about maybe doing a night where we talk about some of our favorite car names. But you think of some of the, the iconic, you know, car names from that era, guys that didn't even, you know, place in the, you know, in the top two or three. But I mean, some of those car names, I mean, I, you know, the Vita Fresh Orange Juice Special and, you know, and some of these different cars that, 
you know, that still people to this day, they, you know, they still love those particular cars. I think you're right. I mean, I think part of the thing that I think still resonates about the 50s, it was, you know, these are guys that at the beginning of that decade are driving in T-shirts, right? And, you know, you know, tough, tough guys driving oh, in yeah. T-shirts, right? You know, roll, you know, roll up your sleeves and you're driving in a, you know, you're, you're driving in a T-shirt and, a, you know, you're, you've got a helmet, but you're, you're driving in a T-shirt and, 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 you know, you know, I just think of, we're going to talk a little bit later about Bill Vukovic, but I think of that, that iconic shot from 1954 and, you know, let's clear up again for, for those who may not have the story exactly right that that iconic shot of him that so many people see in the garage him on right? the, yeah on the bench that's from 1954 a lot of people think it's from 53 because 53 is one of the hottest 500s of all time that particular shot's actually from 54 um and that's a picture of bill vukovic completely drained completely covered in track debris and what looks to be grease and oil and everything else and his hair's tousled and I think he's got a cigarette in his hand but and he's, he and he's completely you know, wiped out yeah completely wiped out and and what I love about that shot is people I've showed that to people I've you know been around when they've seen it for the first time and then you tell them that's what the winner looked like and then they want to know well if that's what the winner looked like what did the other 32 guys in the race sure. look like you know and I know there were drivers who drove in the 500 much later you know, in the you know in recent years, Vitor Mira loved that shot. I was in the Photoshop when he bought a giant. I mean, a, I mean, this size of this wall shot of that particular photo because he wanted it on his wall at his home because he was so taken with that particular photo. But you think of that, you know, those those tough guys and and 1954. I mean, it wasn't as hot from an air temperature standpoint is 1953, but the humidity was so oppressive. There were as many relief drivers in 54 as there were in 53 when it was so ridiculously hot. It was in the nineties, you know? So, you know, it just, the fifties to me, tough people, you know, tough, tough guys in tough cars and, you know, on those roadsters, I mean, you know, not a lot of give in those things when they, you know, you hit the wall not a lot of give there. One of the things that I, have heard since that I found fascinating that I never thought about. Jimmy Bryan, for example, okay, who we'll talk about coming up later in this show. The Ballad of Jimmy Bryan, of course, when I was a kid, that made it one of the first drivers that I became familiar with. Um, and that cigar smoking, always joking, racer Jimmy Bryan. And all the times that I saw Jimmy Bryan and he had a big, I can tell you as a cigar guy, probably a double Corona or, you know, a bigger... Uh, I certainly now know they were El Productos, many of them cigars in his mouth. And I'm sure he smoked cigars, don't get me wrong. But when I worked at a cigar store here in Indianapolis, Joe Moran, who owned the cigar store, who's a great guy and a true historian of the Speedway as well, Joe told me, he said, Jake, you got to understand, a lot of those guys back in the day had cigars in their mouth because it basically served as a, as a mouth guard because they're driving on those bricks. And it was they, – they'd – put like a wedge of like a, a, a tobacco or a chaw in the back of their mouth, not because they were nicotine fiends or anything like that, but because it was something to serve as a cushion for their jaw while they were driving on the bricks at 135, 140. I mean, I never thought of that. I found it fascinating. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember Brian one year was, was, you know, fin he finished second in the race, but he was so beaten up that he couldn't even run the next week. I mean, they had to basically drag him back to the garage, and the next week he, he couldn't run. 
Uh, so they, I mean, that's just how much punishment there was on the bricks in those days. Now, the decade begins in 1950 with the winner of Johnny Parsons winning in a shortened race in 1950. Uh, Johnny Parsons an interesting guy because, as many people know, um, somebody with familial connections going beyond that still exists today in Indianapolis. Yeah, uh, his son, uh, who's a great, great guy, uh, Johnny Parsons Jr., uh, carries on the family name, uh, you know, ran in some of the uh if you ever went out to any of the svra events they had at the speedway ran in some of those obviously ran drove in the 500 multiple times um great guy and 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 recently i don't know if he's still doing this or not because i haven't caught up with jp in the last couple years but recently was driving a school bus um you know driving kids around in the school bus the last few years can you imagine yeah it'd be cool to have a 500 veteran as your school hey boss we're late to class yeah no worries yeah (laughs) you know what i mean yeah exactly uh and also johnny parsons speaking of winner johnny parsons um if i'm not mistaken i could be wrong in this posthumously of course but father-in-law to and i guess he would have been father-in-law for for a time but father-in-law to jim voiles if i'm not mistaken right I honestly don't know all the connection of that part of the of the the family. I, th- I, I know I he think was. That's right. He there was a there's a, a situation where he um, was. Uh, he he's also Poncho's. He he's related to Poncho Carter as well. Correct. He and be, so yeah. Well, but uh, I, I don't know all the family connections with the Voiles family. Okay, I believe this is correct. Now, just give me a hand signal if I'm stepping out of bounds here. But I believe that Johnny Parsons, of course. The winner, Johnny Parsons, his son Johnny Parsons Jr., as you had mentioned, um, the mother, so Johnny Parsons' mother, later remarried and married Dwayne Carter, which was Poncho Carter's mother. Is that correct? So Johnny Parsons would, in other words, Johnny Parsons would have been, um, his children would have been step siblings to Dwayne Carter. So Pancho Carter would have been the stepson, or I'm sorry, the stepbrother of his biological son. I believe that's correct. Okay. And then I believe that Johnny Parsons' daughter married Jim Voiles. If I'm wrong in that, I yeah, apologize. Yeah, that, that, that part I believe you are. Correct. Yeah, that part I believe now, you're correct. Johnny we, Parsons also, one of my favorite trivia questions, name misspelled on the Borg Warner, right? Correct. And it's spelled with a Y? Correct. But it's actually I-E. It's I-E, Yeah. Now Johnny, now Johnny, the younger Johnny, who we were just referring to, who drove the the school bus around in his more more recent years, but but drove in the five hundred and the, um, you know, the seventies and the eighties, uh, and that that he he uses a Y, but uh, at one his point father was, was I. There was discussion, if I'm not mistaken, at one point of actually correcting the Borg Warner, and they decided they to decided not to. Yeah, that's correct. Now, for what reason would they decide not to do it? Well, I think I think it's one of those things that once once it's up there, it's up there, you know, and you don't you don't want to you know you don't want to fix it because it's you know it's almost it's almost quirky at that point, and it's you it's, know just it's, it's kind of like this, Mike. Have you ever been introduced to someone? You're at a party, and somebody introduces you and says, "Oh, this is my friend Mike Thompson," and you say, "Oh, hey, how are you, Dale? It's nice to meet you." And you're talking to Dale, and Dale says, "Well, hey, Mark, you know what? I appreciate talking to you." Yeah, and you're like. Well, it's it's Mike. Yeah, but you don't say anything. You no, know, right. You and just then later in the evening, Dale refers to you, says, "Oh, we were just talking about that. Have you met Mark?" And introduces you, yeah. and you're like, "Okay, that's twice now." Yeah, you get like three of them before finally, guess what? You're now Mark. Yeah, right. right? The rest of the night, you're Mark, and you may be Mark forever at that point. <laughs> that's right. Mm-hmm. So you have an opportunity. So I guess it's kind of that, is yeah, it not? It is. It is. You. They had an opportunity to change it, but it's it's one of those things that 
um, you know, I think I think at that point you just you know you're not going to change it at that point. So it's there and and it's uh, you know you're all, you're now the answer to a trivia question: who's misspelled on the Borg Warner Trophy at that point, right? Now that is correct, and you know my other favorite Borg Warner trivia question, which I mean we're only three shows in and I'm already using my good you know material here, but uh, the two men. You know, I think you're the one that originally gave me this trivia question, so you're going to know the answer. The two men whose names appear on the Borg Warner Trophy more than once, but in multiple variations. Oh, actually, I don't know if I did give you this one. Did I? Did I give you this one? The two men who. So there are two men that can say this. And if you're listening at home, that's why I throw it out, not just for the awkwardness of that, but I think it's fun for people to, to like listen and play along. The, the two drivers who can say i have more than one likeness on the borg warner trophy and in addition to that i have more than one way that my name is labeled underneath said likenesses oh really i i honestly don't know the answer to that question i've never even considered that the first the first that it would have happened with was when a man who in his first representations on the borg warner at that time, did not yet have a child that was racing. Ah, okay. But so when he won his fourth Indianapolis 500, so his there's son, an Al Unser and an Al Unser Senior. That is, is correct. In 1987, he was then Al Unser Senior because mm-hmm. Al Unser Junior had joined the mix. Uh, the other is a driver that had now Al Unser Senior has the longest gap between. Any two wins of their career, if I'm not mistaken, from 1970 to 1987, right? Mm-hmm. The longest gap between a first and second victory in Indy 500 history belongs to what driver? Uh, Montoya. That is correct. So what he's Juan Montoya on one and Juan Pablo Montoya on that one. That is correct. That I, I actually so I thought there. of that a minute ago. I was thinking, I said, I think there's one that Montoya has Juan Pablo on one and then Juan Montoya on the other one. Uh, 51, Lee Wallard wins the race. Interesting tidbit, Bob Jenkins, the... Uh, absolutely gem of a human being, Bob Jenkins, who uh, I know that you love as much as I, and I don't know that I've ever met anybody who is less consumed or aware of their stature to the positive than Bob Jenkins. He is uh, a salt-of-the-earth human being who— I don't every, know anyone who's ever said a bad thing about Bob Jenkins. There would be uh, no one who would have any yeah, I mean, to. There's I, not a bad thing you could come yeah, up Yeah, exactly. With. I mean, just um, one of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. And I, I, I hopefully— you know, I know that Bob knows, but I want to reemphasize um, as Bob goes through his own journey now, uh, how much he is loved. And I mean that from myself as well as Mike and anybody who is listening to this program. Um, but I am fairly certain that Bob Jenkins once told me his all-time favorite driver was Lee Wallard, who won really? the race in 1951. And Wallard's an interesting one because he is one that, as a race winner, Mike, you may d- disagree with me on this, but... You don't hear about him the way you do some of the others. Well, because his career ended almost immediately. He was injured, like, basically as soon as the the next, right after the race. Burned. He correctly. was burned very, very badly. Correct. Right. And so because of that, he really never had any, you know, I mean, he, he didn't have any career after that. And so, um, you know, yes, he was around. Uh, but his career was effectively ended by that the burns that he got, and it was almost immediately after his victory. And I was about to mention, uh, you know, for Wallard, and then who we're probably about to talk about next, the next winner, Troy Rutman. Uh, you know, both of those guys got a really raw deal because you know neither of them, 
they they were both injured almost immediately upon becoming the 500 winner. Uh, now Troy Rutman did make a comeback. Uh, you know he was able to come back. He was able to come back and drive in the 500. But Troy Rutman was not really the same as he was before the injuries. Uh, Lee Waller never got to do it again. And so you you don't. I think you don't really hear about Lee Waller as much because, you know, his career was almost effectively, you know, immediately ended. And a few years after that. Lee Wallard eventually, he never fully recovered from his burns. But I did find an article, Mike, from, I want to say, like, 54, where there was a program put together to try to put Lee Wallard back in a car. And they had the sponsorship, and they had everything set to go, and it just never came to fruition. He, he, he made attempts to try to be healthy enough to do it and to be able to do it, but he just, he just never was able to get back there. And it, like I say, it's a, it's a tragic story because you think about the fact that you're at your, you know, you're the highest high, right? Um, you know, and, and we can name the other drivers that the situation is somewhat similar and even worse in certain cases. I mean, a, a George Robson, somebody like that, um, you know, who – lost his life a few months after winning the 500 or, or Ray Keach a couple weeks. I mean, Correct. only a couple weeks after winning the 500. But um, to basically, you know, Lee Waller's career was taken away from him almost immediately upon winning the race. That leads us into two gentlemen that we're going to talk a lot about coming up. The youngest winner in the history of this race is somebody who then parlayed that into doing advertisements with the original voice of the Indianapolis 500. We'll let you know what it was that Sid Collins and Troy Rutman were wanting you to buy nearly 65 years ago. We'll let you hear about it, and we'll do it when we return to Beyond the Bricks. The Indiana Union construction industry remains focused on getting the job done and keeping our communities running. We all look forward to getting back on track. For over 100 years, our contractors and skilled tradesmen and women built and maintained Indiana's hospitals, highways, bridges, schools, and utilities, essential infrastructure that keeps our state moving forward during all conditions. And with safety as a top priority, we're ready for whatever it takes to rebuild our economy. We built Indiana's past. We'll be there to build Indiana's future. Indiana Union Construction Industry. Value on display every day. This is Representative Jerome Stanford with the Indiana, Kentucky, Ohio Regional Council of Carpenters. With an innovative training center, state-of-the-art facility, and an excellent apprenticeship program, the Indiana Carpenters Union is producing the most efficient, productive, and professional carpenters, millwrights, and floor coverers in the industry. Skilled on principle, union by choice. Hi, I'm Ryan Kelly with HereAlone.com. VA interest rates can be up to a full point lower than conventional loans, saving you hundreds of dollars a month. You can buy a house with no money down, and there's almost never a loan limit on VA loans. VA rates are in the twos, and we're saving our clients hundreds, even thousands of dollars a month. Get the service that you deserve and apply online today at HeroLoan.com. That's HeroLoan.com, the only way to VA. The Home Loan Expert LLC, NMLS number 1326241. Your mortgage payments. The National Foundation for Credit Counseling is a nonprofit organization that has helped consumers in situations just like yours for more than 60 years. Our certified housing specialists will work with you to review your finances and create a custom plan that's right for your specific situation. NFCC member agencies provide free and affordable help and meet U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development standards. Call 866-687-6322 or visit mortgagehelpnow.org.
Jay Quarry, Mike Thompson, Brad Huber along with us. It is Beyond the Bricks here on 107.5thefan.com. Uh, to clarify, because this does become a weird semantic confusion, but Lawrence Cunningham says, I believe Montoya has the biggest gap between wins, 2000 to 2015. Again, maybe I didn't illustrate what I was trying to say properly. The biggest gap between consecutive wins from one win to the next in Indy 500 history would be Montoya in that 15-year gap. The biggest wins, the biggest gap between any two wins on the resume of a driver would be Al Unser because he has one from 1970 as well as one in 1987. So he had a 17-year gap between two wins on his you're saying from like begin his first win to his last win, right? So his first win in 1970 well, and I his mean, last win in 87, there's there's a 17-year gap. Yeah, but but between correct, any two but, but wins. But it doesn't have to be correct between right. any two given right. wins on a driver's resume. Right. Correct. So it could be your first and last win, so that would be 17. Correct. But it could be, you know, if a guy won, let's say for example, if Castro Nevis had not won in 2009, okay? If Castro Nevis had won again in, let's say, I'm going to get, my math is going to screw me up here, but if Castro Nevis had won again in 2020, then he would have had on his resume, it would not have been between his first, well, I mean, it would have been his first and last win, I guess. But but, but, but like A.J. Foy would be 61 and 77. So you'd have 16 16 years, years. but he is trumped by one by Al Unser's 17-year gap. That's correct. So, so that's that's what I'm saying. But um, at any rate, um, Troy Rutman wins the race in 1952, native of, I believe, Oklahoma, right? That's correct. And Rutman, and I think this is really cool. Troy Rutman is the youngest winner in Indy 500 history, and there have been and will be again this year drivers with an opportunity to best that mark. Marco Andretti obviously almost did so. And you know, as have others had the opportunity. A couple of years ago when Colton Herta was a rookie and Pata Award, who ended up not making the race but was attempting to do so, was here for the first year, Troy Rutman's daughter came to the Speedway and actually sought out and met both of them to let them know of her excitement over the fact that there is the possibility that her father's record could be broken and wanted to basically represent for Troy Rutman, who passed away 24 years ago, carry on his blessing that records are made to be broken. I always thought that was pretty cool. That is really cool. And, I mean, you think about the fact that this record has, I mean, it's stood a long time, obviously. And, you know, you as you mentioned, it almost fell with, with Marco uh, just a few feet away from falling. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and and – a lot of guys have had a lot of different chances at this record, and, and it, it could still fall. But, uh, you know, that's one that has definitely, definitely stood up for a long time. Now, I'm trying to look to think for this year, and, of course, we have yet to go through qualifying, so you don't know who, who you know, could get bumped or that kind of a thing. Uh, Colton Hurd, I believe, would still be eligible. Colton's right? still eligible. Pata Re- Award. Renus. And VK. Renus VK, right? Yeah, all three of them, I believe, would be eligible. So they all that. would have the opportunity, if they were to win, uh, to best this mark. But Troy Rutman in winning the Indianapolis 500. If you want to know, we're starting in the early 50s to enter into, I believe, and I'm not saying this wasn't the case through the 30s and 40s, but now in the 50s, we're really entering the era where 
drivers are becoming the stars of the event and really stars of the American sports landscape. And the automobile in general, we've gotten out of now the idea that every family has the one car that is, you know, oh, golly, like, you know, I can't believe dad got a car. You know, now you're living in an era where people like my dad are sitting in their living room and listening to cars pass on the road trying to guess whether or not that's the newest Plymouth that just went past or the newest, you know, and and the new showrooms and the, the innovation of the cars. I mean, we are entering into an era here, Mike, where suddenly Troy Ruttman and those around him are becoming big American sports stars. Yeah, and and what happens is even later, obviously, what we heard from Bobby Unser the other night when we played uh, some tribute clips is, you know, Bobby started saying, hey, uh, the endorsements are the way to go for me. And we started seeing a lot more endorsements, uh, you know, in this time frame. But it really began, began in the 50s, I think. And, and you started seeing more drivers – being used in in products, you know, product spots and things like that. And and we're about to hear one here coming up in a second, I believe. That is correct. This is Sid Collins, who was the radio voice of the Indianapolis 500 and the IMS radio network. And that was really also starting to get its footing and move forward in making this event known not only across the country, but around the world in Armed Forces Radio. And so now car you know, whether it be manufacturers or companies that are making things for the car are saying, this is my ticket to get my message out. And so Troy Ruttman and Sid Collins put together this Madison Avenue market. Uh, absolutely brilliant piece. Here we go. This is Sid Collins with the latest news on the 500-mile race from the Speedway at Indianapolis. Meet Troy Ruttman, winner of the race here in 1952. And Troy figures to get back in victory lane again this May. Sid, it sure would be a thrill. I'd like to be back in there again. Fans, again this year, the drivers of the race cars at Indianapolis have chosen Mobile Oil for best performance. As you know, the makers of Mobile Oil are experts on lubrication. That's another reason why Mobile Oil Special will improve the performance of every car on the highway. At Troy Ruttman, you drive a 1956 Chevrolet. Have you tried Mobile Oil Special in it? Yes, Sid. As you know, I was using uh, Mobile Oil in 1952 when I won the race. I've been using it actually since 1949 in my pleasure cars and everything is wonderful. And there you have it from an expert. For smoother, trouble-free operation of your automobile, get Mobile Oil Special at every sign of the flying red horse. I mean, as natural as it gets, right? Well, the thing I like best about that is, you know, Sid Sid brings you in, you know, because you think immediately, you know, hey, this is an important important race update, right? And then he, he, he brings you in and, and says, no, wait, actually, I'm going to try to sell you some mobile. Now, here's the thing. I want you to play the beginning of this again, Brad. Play, play the beginning of this, and let, let's let's talk along with it. But as you listen to it, Troy Ruttman sounds like – I'm trying to think of who he sounds like here. But take a listen when Sid brings him in and you hear Troy Ruttman. He sounds like, first off, that he's like – in he's what, 25 here, 26? Uh, it would have been, yeah. Okay. Brad, do we have it? Yep. Okay, here we go. This is Sid Collins with the latest news on the 500-mile race from the Speedway at Indianapolis. Meet Troy Ruttman, winner of the race here in 1952, and Troy figures to get back in victory lane again this May. Sid, it sure would be a thrill. I'd like to be back in there again. He sounds like Al Unser. A little bit, yeah. Doesn't he? Yeah, a little Keep bit. Keep playing it, Brad. Mobile oil for best performance. 
As you know, the makers of Mobil Oil are experts on lubrication. That's right. That's another reason why Mobil Oil Special will improve the performance of every car on the highway. At Troy Rutman, you drive a 1956 Chevrolet. Have you tried Mobil Oil Special in it? Yes, Sid. As you know, I was using uh, Mobil Oil in 1952 when I won the race. I've been using it actually since 1949 in my pleasure cars and everything is my wonderful. pleasure cars. And there you have it from an expert. For smoother, trouble-free operation of your automobile, get Mobile Oil Special at every sign of the flying red horse. I like the sound effect at the end, too. Well, yeah. That, that's, that's, you're selling it. Now, what people may not remember is the fact that now Sid was, of course, the voice of the 500, um, but he also was WIBC sports director. And in addition to that, he was one of the salesmen here. Okay, at WIBC, and he was one of the top salesmen. At one point, he was the top salesman at WIBC, and the reason why is he was so approachable, and he was, you know, he had such an ability to connect with people. So you can just see why he was able to be the top salesman because he was, you know, I mean, he was a a master at being able to connect with people. And a well-known factoid, I think, Mike, is the fact that it was Sid Collins. It was not Sid Collins that came up with the line but came up with the need for the line for he wanted to have a way to let the network affiliates that were carrying the Indy 500 know that he was going to a commercial break. So instead of saying, we're going to a commercial break, he asked around of ways, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was a receptionist within WIBC that came up with the term now stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. Yeah, a lady named Alice Green, I believe was yeah. her name. And so he started using that, and there you go, right? But, yeah, I mean, Sid had such an – I have always been fascinated with Sid's career because, you know, we obviously we think of his amazing work as the voice of the 500, but, I mean, he did so many other things. And the fact is, I mean, he, he hosted a number of different shows at WIBC. I mean, he hosted a show that, you know, I would love to find any air check of – if I could find it, I'd be thrilled because I can t- guarantee you I'd, I'd want to put an excerpt on. He hosted at one point a show called Captain Sid's Treasure Hunt. Now, I would love to know what that was, <laughs> what it entailed. Was it a game show? I mean, what, what was Captain Sid's Treasure Hunt exactly about? And so that's, uh, that's something. He also hosted a show called The PM Party, which uh, I do know a little bit about that show, which was basically it was Sid, and anytime somebody famous came into town, basically if they were shilling something or if they had something they wanted to promote, he, he would have Jane Mansfield on or Jack Benny, and, I mean, they, they would come on well, the show with him. one of the things that is very apparent about Sid Collins, and I'm not saying that he wasn't capable of doing it, was that he had aspirations eventually to be like an Ed Sullivan type, Absolutely. And, and move beyond and be an entertainment type host. So you could tell during the Indianapolis 500 when dignitaries or celebrities, and in the 50s, they're all coming. So when they would come to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, it was imperative that they come up to the booth to spend time with Sid Collins. And for them, as big a necessity as well. Absolutely. I mean, and he cultivated relationships with the, with the, uh, with the stars. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, he... He was he had the ability. I mean, I I have seen correspondence between Sid and Ed Sullivan. You know, can't wait to see you, Sid. You know, you know, signed Ed. You know, where, you know, they had a relationship. And same with Jack Benny. You know, Jack Benny. You know, Jack. You know, your friend Jack. You know, looking forward to seeing you again. Those type of things. And 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 you're right. I mean, and I know Donald has talked a lot about the fact that Sid was a fabulous you know after dinner speaker. You know, and you're right. I mean, these are the things that 
um, you know, Sid was known for. I mean, it wasn't just, I mean, a lot of folks may know Sid only as the voice of the 500. Sid led a really multifaceted, had a really multifaceted career. And you had mentioned the fact that he did things like the PM party or the treasure hunt beyond just being the voice of the Indianapolis 500. But of course, Talk of Gasoline Alley is a show that everyone knows today in Indianapolis, hosted by Donald Davidson, a nostalgic and reflective historic look at the annals and the statistics of the Indianapolis 500. Sid Collins did something similar to that, and he did it nearly 70 years ago. Here is Sid Collins in 1953. Uh, first of all, I'd like to answer some of my mail in regard to questions here at the track. And don't forget, if you have any questions, just drop them to me, Sid Collins, care WIBC Indianapolis, and I'll try my best to answer them for you. Ronald Keaton in Shelbyville asks, is Max Hellings racing this year? No, Ronald, I'm very sorry. Mac Hellings is not racing this year nor any other year because Mac lost his life in an airplane accident in the mountains of California this last season. He was flying to an automobile race from Los Angeles. The race was to be held in Northern California, and he, along with two others, crashed in the mountains. It took several days to find him, and, of course, he has lost his life and will not be here in the future. Harry Grinstead of Butlerville, Indiana, asked, would a record lap count in qualification if the four laps were not completed? Well, Harry, that depends entirely upon the chief steward. But normally speaking, they would allow any lap that is officially timed. And during a qualification run, the official timing device in the pagoda would be checking his time, his speed, and so it undoubtedly would count unless ruled against by the steward. Uh, Harry also asked, when were crash helmets first used at the track? Well, Wilbur Shaw first wore a crash helmet in 1933. That was a hard type helmet. That was his own idea. And then in 1934, some more of the drivers adopted the plan, and it became compulsory in 1935. So by Speedway requirements, it was 35, but the first helmet was worn in 1933 here at the Speedway. Wayne Nelson of Indianapolis writes, where can we get photos of the Cummins car? Well, Wayne, you can get photos of any of these cars here at the track. The various vendors sell them. Uh, downtown stores also have them on hand. And the official photographers here at the track have a retail store at 49 and one half South Illinois Street, and you can get pictures of all the cars that address. And by the way, I can tell you this about uh, Sid Collins, who obviously was extremely informative, and his delivery was impeccable, and listening to it, you feel like you're right back there in 1953. But one thing I can say for certain, he is correct. Mac Hellings did not return to the Indianapolis 500 after being fatally injured. That's correct. And uh, that's actually a clip I found today. I was looking for something else and then never heard it. And I thought, I said, you know what? This is almost like Sid's own version of Talk of Gasoline Alley. That's from a show called Speedway Gossip. Okay, so that show started in the 50s. So that was not taking place during the race itself. No, that was uh, that would take place, Sid would do that during practice days. Correct. And it, it ran in the early 50s with uh, Charlie Brockman co-hosted it with, believe it or not, Floyd Davis, who was the co-winner in 1941. And they co-hosted the show together for a little while, and then Sid took it over. And it ran into the early 60s. The latest I've, I've found any ep evidence of Speedway gossip was uh, 1963. But I happened to be looking for something else when we started talking today about what we were going to do tonight. And I found that, and I said, well, this is Sid kind of doing his own talk of Gasoline Alley, except mail in the questions to WIBC. And I said, well, you know, we've got to do this. You know, it's, yeah, he didn't have a Twitter account. No, there was, there was no one at Sid at, you know, WIBC. I, I think the thing that is fascinating about that is, 
just the difference in era in delivering the news that someone, even though it had been some 15 months or so, the news that someone had been fatally injured, you know, the, and there's, it's at no fault of the era or of Sid in that time, but that question would be answered so much more softly, one would think today. And say what you want, what that means about, era, you know, I get it, but it just was a different world, man. It's yeah. a different era. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a different world. Um, I just think it was, uh, I just thought the clip was interesting, and I said, you know what, i got to bring this down because it, it just shows that they were doing something similar to Talk of Gasoline Alley even back then in the in the early 50s. But uh, like I said, Sid, that was Speedway Gossip was something that Sid did. What was interesting about that show was Sid would take a, a remote microphone to parties for Speedway Gossip, and he would basically set up at a spot, and he'd have people stop by the remote microphone and say, oh, well, here's Ray Haroon, or, you know, here's whoever, you know, Duke Nalen, or whoever happened to walk by, and he would put them on live um, on the Speedway Gossip microphone. And so uh, that was a show, like I said, that ran for over a decade with, with a couple different hosts, and, and it's really an interesting part of uh, WIBC history and just happened to be looking for something else and found that today. Now, yesterday when we were talking about Bobby Unser, we talked about the fact that Bobby Unser became – such a popular studio, you know, the second length of his career, if you will, the second phase of his career in auto racing was the fact that he was such a popular color color analyst that was not afraid to, you know, debate or let it be known if he thought that Paul Page was incorrect about something or Sam Posey was incorrect about something. And it turns out that Sid Collins himself had somebody when it came to things like fuel issues and things like that that we're not afraid to correct him right well he he had uh his own interest in fuels apparently i found this clip with uh sid and freddie agabation and and I, he's not really correcting freddie as much as he's as he's making sure that he, freddie knows that you know hey i'm i'm not i'm not a neophyte i know what, what, what fuels are man I'm you more than just a pretty face yeah, on the microphone yeah right? I, yeah I'm, I'm following this thing along man you don't have to explain fuels to me all right sid collins and freddie agabation here we go well, actually, uh, talking about fuel so much, which seems to be a very important factor now in this race, most cars do use straight uh, methanol or a blend of it. Nitromethane, commonly known as pop, is added to fuel sometimes to give added power to the engines. It's used only in small quantities. And Fred, you said they get about two and a half uh, miles of the gallon out here? Yes, with uh, methanol or alcohol, it's a, it's a synthetic alcohol, of course, which is our base fuel. In the event they were running basically that fuel only, without additive, they'd get approximately four miles per gallon, but adding nitromethane percentage-wise depends on how many percent you use. As you increase your percentage, you decrease the mileage, for it's a, a heavily concentrated oxygen carrier, and it does use an awful lot more in fuel. In other words, you'll get down to approximately two miles a gallon with about 20% usage of nitromethane, which, for your information, happens to be a liquid form of dynamite. Oh, I'm up on all that, that ISO uh, propanol and uh, nitromethanine and all that crap. <laughs> I know you're up on it. You dig this stuff pretty well, buddy. Crazy, yeah. Hey, I'm up on all my fuels. You want to talk about blowing stuff up in the yard? I know what I'm talking about, Mike. I mean, Sid knows his fuels. That's right. I he mean, knows his fuels. Absolutely. And Freddie Agabation, um, I don't know about blowing stuff up with fuels, but... Uh, he himself, no stranger to breaking stuff, right? He broke my sunglasses when I was 19 years old, and I still tell the story about that. 
So here's the thing. So I, I worked in television. I started in TV. I was very, very lucky. I started in TV when I was 17 years old, believe it or not. I was, I was in high school. And I was, I mean, I'm really, really fortunate. Our television station at WTOL in Toledo, we did a, every year we came down to Indianapolis and we would tape a, a five-part series on, you know, things that were related to Toledo. So Champion Spark Plugs was based in Toledo at the time. And so we would do a story on what Champion was up to. And Ron Hemelgarn's from Toledo. So we'd do some on his team and Doug Shearson. Uh, because Adrian Michigan's very close to Toledo. So it was a five-part series, and there was always one wild-card story. Well, we were, I was very close to Jerry Grant. Uh, Jerry was running Champion Spark Plugs Racing Division at the time. He was close to my family, my dad and my uncles. So I knew him, and I, that was an honor because, you know, you know, I'm a kid, basically. I'm like 19 years old when I, I'm at this point in my, my career. And, you know, I know Jerry Grant, who almost won the 1972 Indianapolis 500. So how cool is that, right? So... He uh, he would give us the run of the champion office. Well, they had just they at one point the champion office was only under the tower terrace. Well, they had just moved and had a new office inside Gasoline Alley as well. So they were transitioning at this point. They had one office outside, and then they still they had just put this brand new office inside of uh, Gasoline Alley. And he would tell myself and Gary Sensenstein, who was our photographer, he'd say, "Anytime, go in there, cool off, grab a coke." You know, sit down, enjoy yourself. We've got all these nice couches in there, and you you have the run of the place. And we were thinking, oh, how great is this, right? So um, I'm, I'm going in there to grab a, a Coke or a water or something by myself. As I'm walking into the office, Johnny Boyd, who, who drove in the 50s, almost won the race in 58, uh, he's walking out of the office. I'm walking in. I say hello. You know, he just says hello, obviously, cordially, and, but we didn't really talk. I walk in. I sit down on a, on a couch. And I'm not in there for more than, you know, two minutes cooling off. And, and Freddie Agabation walks in and looks right at me and says, uh, hey, kid, you seen Johnny Boyd, you know, in, in that famous voice of his. <laughs> and I said, I said, actually, you just missed him. He, he was here and he literally just left. And Freddie looks right at me and goes, Kid, would, would you know who Johnny Boyd is, you know, if you saw him? Do you know who he is? Did you say, I know my fuels? <laughs> and I said, I, I said, literally looked right at him, and I said, yes, sir, Mr. Agabation. I, you know, I, I know who he is, and because he hadn't introduced himself, right. I, but I knew who Freddie Agabation was. this was in what year, roughly? Uh, 89, I believe. Okay, because yeah. he, so, I mean, yeah, he was, was, No, right, yeah. Right it, was either eight, it was either 88 or 89, one of the two, because I had just started in television. Because he passed in October of 89. 89. Yeah, so I said... I said, yes, sir, Mr. Agabation. And so he got this big grin on his face because I recognized him and knew who he was. So he comes over. Now, mind you, there's this, these two huge couches. He comes over and sits down basically right next to me where I'm sitting, sits down directly on my new sunglasses I had just bought to come down to, to Indianapolis with, sits down, and I mean breaks them in half when he sits down on them. And he literally looks, he, he realizes as soon as he hears the crack that he's broken my sunglasses, and he's like, Kid, I think I broke your sunglasses. <laughs> and he hands these to me, and, and they're broken in half. And and I'm laughing and, and crying, laughing, and so happy. And so I'm thinking, 
this is the greatest thing ever. Like, I get to go home and tell everybody that Freddie Agavation broke my sunglasses. You know what you should you have know? told him? You know, Freddie, actually, those are prescription sun or prescription <laughs> glasses, and I didn't even have them, and still knew Johnny Boy when he walked <laughs> yeah, in exactly. here and knew you were, right? But, yeah, it was, it was one of the greatest things because I got to go home and tell everybody that I was related to and everybody who knows anything about racing. I'm like, Freddie Agavation broke these sunglasses, and it was like it was like one of the greatest days of my life when I was, like, 18. The, I do not. Two but, I do not, but it was one. Of, it was it was a great – it was truly a great day. When we come back, we're going to go back um, in living in the 50s and introduce you to a guy that will be a big topic tomorrow, including with Donald Davidson, who will join us on the program tomorrow. We'll listen to one of the icons win the Indianapolis 500 and a little bit of unearthed audio of some icons that were racing away from Indianapolis. We'll do that as we put a bow tie on it next. You're listening to Beyond the Bricks here on 1075thefan.com. Hi, I'm Ryan Kelly with HeroLoan.com. The VA loan is one of the best benefits of being in the military. You can refinance and cash out up to 100% of your appraised home value and can close in as little as 14 days. VA rates are in the twos, and we're saving our clients hundreds, even thousands of dollars a month. Get the service that you deserve and apply online today at HeroLoan.com. That's HeroLoan.com, the only way to VA. The Home Loan Expert LLC, NMLS number 1326241. You know, many people my age who went to college, they'll do something great in the future. But I'm doing something great now. If you like seeing what you accomplish every day, why not make that your career instead of a desk job? I know a lot of people without any direction. Well, my direction is up while I help build this high rise. Your training is free, so you learn while you earn. My friends finished their degree in four years. That's about what it took for us to finish laying down about a dozen new roads. Careers as a union laborer are rewarding and ready now. As a member of Laborers Local 120, you'll earn good pay and benefits with lots of job choices. I do pipeline work. I'm a concrete finisher. I lay miles and miles of asphalt. This is Ward Daniels, business manager of Labor's Local 120. Joining us can lead to a satisfying career for you or someone you know. So join us. Join us. Join us. We are now accepting qualified apprentices and journeymen. Visit LionaBuildsIndiana.org to apply. Life, there is no free lunch. Are you prepared? Do you have a plan? Who can you trust? You can trust the NFCC, the nation's largest nonprofit network of credit counseling and financial education organizations. Our certified professionals will help you learn basic financial skills and give you the tools to meet financial challenges with confidence. Come learn with us at NFCC.org. It's your money. Get smart about it. A public service from the NFCC. He's been gone about a minute. He should be coming down the straightaway. Here he comes, getting the check And he gets a tremendous cheer from the crowd. He waves to the crowd as he goes by. Car number 14, Bill Bukovic, has won the 1953 500-mile race. And here was his time on that last lap. One minute, eight and eight-tenths seconds for a speed of 130.814. He didn't ease up a bit. Okay, coast to coast, you say just a word about how you feel on winning the race. Oh, it feels all right. Everybody's happy to win. Bill, did you think you'd want relief any time in the race? I say. Think you want relief any time in the race? No. Never want relief. There's an Iron Man, folks, and he's really tired, and he can't hear a single thing. And now the newsreel people want to take a picture. That was 1953, the first of back-to-back wins for the man from Fresno, California, Bill Vukovic. Of course, Vukovic winning in 54 and then fatally injured in 19. 19- 
55. I had mentioned earlier that we were going to talk plenty about Jimmy Bryan and Bill Vukovic uh, today. I think probably Jimmy Bryan will be shifted to tomorrow along with Sam Hanks and talking kind of the second half of the 50s along with Donald Davidson. Uh, And certainly it is no justice to try to collapse Bill Vukovic's career and his impact here into the last 10 minutes or so of this show, Mike. So I would imagine that carries over to tomorrow as well. But, you know, the first of three generations to race at Indianapolis and obviously a terrible tragedy in him losing his life in pursuit of his third Indianapolis 500 win. And you know what's interesting is when when Vukovic was fatally injured in 55, Sid Collins, in mentioning his passing on the radio broadcast, says Bill Vukovic, a three-time winner, almost. And it sounds as though Sid Collins is catching himself admitting or saying that Vukovic was almost a three-time winner because he was on his way to winning in 55. But I think rather what he meant was that there were years before he broke through in 53 that he, in fact, could have won the race. Well, he could have certainly won in 52. He had the situation where he was, I mean, he was in position to win potentially and then had a late uh, situation where there was a steering problem and, and uh, you know, he it's it sometimes reported that he had an accident. He really didn't have an accident. He just kind of went up and brushed up against the wall because, you know, there was a steering issue with the fuel injection special. Then he wins in 53, wins in 54, and was on his way probably to winning in 55. Uh, you know, his main the, – the competition that everybody thought was going to develop between him and Jack McGrath, McGrath had dropped out just moments before um, Vukovic had his fatal accident. I think I think of all the drivers – post-war he's probably one of the most fascinating characters because there's so little known about him and I don't mean from a competition standpoint I mean we know what he did on the track I'm talking about from a personality standpoint because you know a lot of times you'll read you know oh he, he was moody or he was you know aloof and what I've what I've read from people who actually knew him they said you know hey if you were if you were a friend of Bill Vukovic uh, he was great. He was a cut up, you know, that he would he would do a lot of cut up, you know, and, and having fun and things like that. But as soon as somebody came in the garage that he didn't know that basically he clammed up, that he was that he was very much not going to share that part of himself. If that he doesn't sounds know like willpower. I was just going to say, do you know who that sounds like to yep. me, which is willpower? And I tell this to people all the time. And a lot of people look at me when I say this, like I'm speaking a different language. The funniest person I know is Will Power. Okay, I've known Will for a number of years, and Will Power is the funniest person that I know. And then I say that to people, and they look at me like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I'm not kidding you. I mean, if, if you know Will and you get him going and he's comfortable with you, he's the funniest person I've ever met in my life. Um, he's, he's absolutely hilarious. And then I tell people, then they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, no, really, he is. I mean, he's, he is hysterically funny. He's a dry humor, for sure. Um, you know, Bill Vukovic, when he was fatally injured, his son, uh, Bill Vukovic II, was 11 years old, who himself went on to nearly winning the Indianapolis 500. Um, so now, all of a sudden, you're talking about a second-generation guy who, like his father in 52, might have had the race won, right? Except for that it was in 73. Uh, I think there, were, there was a, a moment where there are some that thought Vukovic was going to win the race, right? Well, I mean, I think different 
different situations with Bill the Second than than Bill the First. Bill the Second was a driver that was a guy who was going to bring the car home, and you know he got very good finishes. Where Bill the Bill the First was a dominator. Well, you know, no question. You know, I mean, I'm no just saying. You know, so when I'm thinking of them, as I think of them as two completely different kinds of drivers. Um, you know, you look at Bill. You know, Bill. I don't like to say Bill Senior. I'm Bill the First. Um, you know, his his record is just a dominant record. Um, so I, I think they're two different kind of drivers when you look at them. So it's a, a little bit different comparison. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean certainly, you know, Bill Vukovic the second. Uh, well, you know, great, great, a great career, very, you know, very, very much in the mix for several different, uh, you know, drives. Vukovic the second's wife told me once that during the 73 race late in the race they came down to, came down to get her because it was thought that that he was in the lead for like a, a lap or two there was a, a scoring issue and they thought he was going to win the race and then in fact of course it was gordon johncock that ended up being the winner um in that 73 race and i know that johncock has always i think had a relief that he won again in 82 so that the only win he had wasn't that race that was just so marred in so many ugly things in 73. But um, going back to you talking about Vukovic the first and, and running and dominating and coming up in Fresno where he was so popular because he ran everywhere. Um, in conclusion tonight, I wanted to play because you unearthed it today and I appreciate it. Tell me who we're about to hear from in terms of competing in not 52, not 53, but all the way back to 1948 to kick off the 50s. Yeah, this is a really, really rare piece of audio that is, I don't believe has been heard since 1948 on any station. So we have Bobby Ball in this race. It's a midget race from a station in California. Uh, Bobby Ball's in this race. Roger Ward's in this race. Bill Vukovic is in this race. Uh, you know, And so it's just a very short excerpt of what you heard, but – the the production value is a little different from what you're you know you're used to hearing, but this is this is pretty rare audio. Now here's the thing, Mike, and this is all on me, um, because of the fact that we're up against it and the length of it. This will have to kick us off for tomorrow night. Well, that's okay. That's a good tease. Then. That's what we do. That's right? what we do. We we get, we get the people. So to I apologize. Come. Uh, no, that's, that's all right. We, on me. No, no, that's all right. We get the people to come back. You know what and, I did. Jumped the restart and passed a bunch of cars under caution right there. Oh, man. It's on me. Oh, James, that's a no-no. <laughs> Literally. Uh, Kyle Lewis, by the way, I hope you had good fortune tonight getting McKenzie to go to sleep. Kyle's a good guy. He's a friend of mine. Great guy. Very good. Um, yeah. So Kyle and Gina, hopefully they get a good night's sleep because M McKenzie, if you're listening, it's time. Time for bed. Uh, tomorrow, Donald Davidson will join us, and we're going to play that audio from 1948, and then we're going to continue talking about Bill Vukovic and get into – a driver. I'm not going to say specifically who because I've mentioned a couple tonight, but one of them we're going to talk about tomorrow, I found out today, was one of the original heroes of none other than Donald Davidson. Were you aware of that? I was, fact? in fact, aware of that, yes. So when I mentioned it to Donald, he said, you know what, I've got to come on and talk about it because it's one of my heroes. And I said, well, that's what we will do, and we will do it tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. I appreciate everybody listening tonight. Have a wonderful remainder of the evening. It's a beautiful night outside. Enjoy it before it gets too dark because the May weather is here. Brad Huber, I appreciate it. Mike Thompson, I'm Jake Query. So long for this evening. This has been Beyond the Bricks.
The Indiana Union construction industry remains focused on getting the job done and keeping our communities running. We all look forward to getting back on track. For over 100 years, our contractors and skilled tradesmen and women built and maintained Indiana's hospitals, highways, bridges, schools, and utilities, essential infrastructure that keeps our state moving forward during all conditions. And with safety as a top priority, we're ready for whatever it takes to rebuild our economy. We built Indiana's past, and we'll be there to build Indiana's future. The Indiana Union construction industry, value on display every day. This is Bob Steinecker, business representative for plumbers, steam fitters, and HVACR service technicians, Local 440. Are you looking for companies who have shown exceptional commitment to sustainable mechanical service in the HVACR industry, as well as the residential and light commercial industry? Log on to mcai.org for more info. UA Local 440 plumbers, steam fitters, and HVACR service technicians, skilled on principle, union by choice. When 